we'll have a few more people join us, but uh, let's begin our time this morning. It's great to see everyone here. And I would like to welcome you with a verse. And if you know where this verse comes from. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs. Very good. If you start following the cross-references, there's about five verses in Proverbs that talk about a merry heart. What do you think it means, a merry heart? Well, probably from coming from this book, it means a heart that's rejoicing in the salvation of God. Oh, well, that's joy. a good theological answer. Full of joy. And probably true. Yeah. I think it just means happy. Yeah, all right. And uh, having fun. And it occurred to me with all the hard things that are going on right now, Mm-hmm. in our personal lives, in our church, and in the world. Mm-hmm. Might be good to have a little fun. So I want to do any of you take the local paper. I don't recommend it. <laughs> and and I, 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 I subscribe to it so that you don't. Okay. <laughs> when I see the headlines at work, I just want to roll my eyes. Well, the first place I go is this section right here. <laughs> and this is very current. This is from today's paper, and there were a couple here that I thought I would share with you. This one I can definitely identify with. The born loser. Lady sitting in her chair reading a book, and the husband's looking over her shoulder and says, I haven't read a good book in a long time. And she says, I know some good new books I can recommend for you to read. He says, no new books. I want to go back and read one of the classics again. Hmm. And she says, oh, like Ivanhoe? He says, too old-fashioned. The Grapes of Wrath? Too sad. The Brothers Karamazov? Too complicated. War and Peace? Too long. She says, I give up. What kind of classic do you have in mind? And he says, I was thinking of something like green eggs and ham. (laughs) Sometimes you need classics like green eggs and ham. And then peanuts. You know, it's that time of year again. The green pumpkin? Yes. Hopefully you know about the Great Pumpkin. Watch it every year. Look it up. Alright, so Lana <laughs> says, well, only one more week till Halloween. And then the Lucy says, don't start again about the Great Pumpkin. If you start raving to me again about the Great Pumpkin, I'll pound you clear across the room. Linus hold up, holds up his finger and says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Jesus. And she says, What's that supposed to mean? Linus says, If I talk to some kids in a different neighborhood, I'll bet they all believe my story. 
<laughs> she says, well, go ahead. Talk all you want, but just don't talk around here. So he walks out with the clouds over his head. Mm -hmm. And then now he's in a different neighborhood and talking to two kids. Hi there. Are you aware that on Halloween night, the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch and brings toys to all the good little kids in the world? The two little kids walk away saying, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, there's a lot of uh, truth to learn from the comics. Right, so here's Dennis the Menace. All right, so Dennis and his father are sitting in the living room in chairs across from each other. Father says, Dennis, we need to have a little talk. Dennis says, about what? Father says, honesty. And he leans over and says, you know, it's important always to tell the truth. And his wife walks in and says, Henry, Mike is calling. Father says, tell him I'm out. <laughs> and then they get back to him, and Father says, now where were we? <laughs> I'll tell you what impresses me about that. Whoever wrote it did not split his infinitive. Very elegant. Always to tell the truth. That's right. Sounds so much better than putting an adverb between the two and the... To always tell. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Great son. Great son. I never split infinitives also. Pleased to hear it. And then I've usually got about three books going at one time. Um, you know, at least one of them is serious theological book. But lately there's been some joke books involved. And I'll share a couple. This is actually pretty good. Holy humor. After a worship service, a preacher announced, the class on prophecy has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> this one's called Tombstone Humor. This is a tombstone. Remember, man who passes by, as you are now, so once was I. And as I am now, so you must be. Prepare yourself to follow me. And then under that, someone wrote, To follow you, I'm not content until I learn which way you went.
Lord, thank you that we can gather as your people, sing your praises, to learn from your word. Pray that you would bless our time, help us to learn from this lesson in ways that we can apply your truths to our lives. Let's bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, well, today we have Lesson 6 in our series of Christianity and Literalism. Um, first five lessons have sort of been introductory, so to speak. Um, and today it's starting uh, the book, Christianity and Liberalism, written 100 years ago, 1923. Um, and again, this lesson is a little bit of an overview of the book, although he gets into some specific definitions that I think will be interesting to, to discuss. And then the remaining uh, six lessons are chapters from the book, Doctrine, God and Man, the Bible, Christ, Salvation, and the Church. So, uh, and a lot of meat already and a lot of meat to come. Um, if you'll notice on the handout, I, I put the Apostles' Creed there. Um, how many of you grew up in churches where you repeated the Apostles' Creed? Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, we've done that here, we haven't done it in a while. In fact, I'll bring up to the session possibly using this in our liturgy more often. But the reason I put it in here is uh, twofold. One is it relates, I think, a lot to last week's lesson on apologetics, um, because the last half of that lesson, he was dealing with various topics of apologetics, categories of apologetics. And he'll do that again today. But I thought it would be good and helpful for us to see the Apostles' Creed and actually to recite it. So if we would, uh, please join with me and let's recite the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. individual truths and doctrines, I mean just every phrase basically, um, but 
as, as we go forward in the lesson today and thinking back, uh, maybe underline the topics there that you think come up in apologetics more frequently. I mean, even that very first line, I believe in God, in the existence of God. Father Almighty has got a personal God. Creator, maker, heaven and earth. Obviously. It's kind of interesting. Uh, I grew up in a Methodist church. And uh, from that line, from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you remember what we used to say? Quick, quick and the dead. dead. From, from, from thence, he will come yes. to judge the quick and the dead. So there's a real value in saying this. I mean, I could have quoted this from memory probably when I was eight years old. And uh, so there's value in that. It's teaching our children the catechism and ourselves and so on. So anyhow, I wanted to put that in there. Um, why don't we watch this lesson and uh, take notes. You have uh, an outline there to follow. And we'll go from there. <coughs> and easy to see, you know, from a Christian perspective, a true reform perspective, but it can be a whole lot more subtle than that. It's, I it mean, brings it's something that despair. I think we have to find ourselves, whether we will admit it to ourselves intellectually or not. You know, there's a tendency, I think, um, I mean, obviously, so much of what he said and what we're going to be discussing, even though it was written 100 years ago, is so ethical to today. But at the beginning, when he was talking about uh, the uh, sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win, and, um, you know, that, that the Rockefellers funded, you know, this liberal radio program, um, I think it's hard for us in this day and time with just the you know, ubiquitous communications that we have to um, have a sense of, of, of how important that was. I mean, maybe you've heard from grandparents or someone about, you know, at night sitting down by the radio and turning it on. And, uh, you know, you see that in movies. But when he said that, the first thing that came to my mind was that classic Christmas movie that all guys love and most mothers hate. You know the one I'm referring to? The Christmas story? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought you were going to go with Die Hard, but okay. <laughs> Christmas story. You know how important it was to get to the radio on here. So imagine people gathering around the radio to hear this message. I mean, and, and how, how dominant that could be at that time. And so how that would just be one more way in which that liberal um, perspective and philosophy was spread out into the culture. Um, let's talk about uh, 
the way he described the perspective of the liberals who were trying to make Christianity more accommodating to the culture. Um, do we see anything like that today? Hmm. Yes, I'll share a little anecdote. I think uh, there are many ways that manifests itself to make Christianity more palatable to the culture. Uh, I think the health palatable is a good word to be yeah, palatable. Yeah, it's health, wealth, prosperity, oh, yeah. the gospel. And uh, so some of my soldiers uh, invited me, so I went to uh, a church in Singapore a number of months ago. These were soldiers who I knew, hey, they're believers. <clears throat> Chaplain, come to church with us, okay, I'd love to. And I was amazed, <clears throat> this guy, I mean, I guess he's well known, but uh, yeah, straight, he did not bring up the gospel. He brought up a verse, like near the end of his sermon, uh, but he just talked about, you know, out of context, Abraham and the blessing, uh, you know, and how that blessing is money. And basically, the entire lens through which he was viewing at least that verse and much in the gospel was through like material blessing. And here I have these soldiers, you know, that I had a conversation with afterwards. Uh, you know, hey, what do you think? Because they're just accepting it as truth. Uh, and so, uh, how deceptive these things can be to uh, to uh, believers who don't appropriate or test things against scripture. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very applicable uh, to today. Uh, and shepherd, whether it's shepherding and helping others or, you know, being careful what we digest uh, here. Well, why, why do you think it's, it, it's deceptive or, or, or it's so well-received or easy to be believed? What, why do you think that is? I mean, who doesn't love to just have material things showered on them, you know? And if God's a genie in a bottle that will do that, you know, well then great, you know, let me rub the little genie can. Um, and yeah, the other thing, like this was a mega church. I'll just say in general, churches that are being faithful to scripture generally will not draw tens of thousands of people. Uh, it does happen, but... Well, one of the reasons for that, yes, yeah. One of the reasons for that is because they'll split off and, and yeah. churches so that there can be more of a sense of a real church. Yeah. Dee, you were going to say something. I was just going to say I think it's because it makes you feel good. You know, nobody's telling you you're a sinner, and who doesn't want to hear that? So you know, they just go and they feel good and they come back from more, kind of like Joel Holstein's bottom. Yeah, and I mean, churches like that in that type of message are producing the fastest growing churches in the country. Um, that's one example. What other well, current cultural issue? Another example is how even churches are always like, oh, we need to be winsome to the culture. Like, we can't speak out against certain sins, or even like the equivocations between the two major political parties in this country, and like brushing over the issue of abortion. 
which Tim Kelly even did that uh, a year or two ago. And that's because I think, uh, especially elite evangelicals, they want, to, they want people to like you. And we want the world to like us. And we think like, oh, we can still like be friends with the world and friends with God, even though scripture makes clear whoever loves the world is an enemy of God, James 4. And the world will hate us. Paul at the end of Philippians 1 says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ we should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The world's going to hate us, um, but, and I think Christians, we all fall into the temptation, oh, like, oh, we want people to like us. So we try to act winsome and brush over hard issues when the world's going to hate us either way. Yeah, but, but I mean, really, there is a fine line. I mean, you want to be winsome, but not compromise. You know, and so that's that's sort of the dilemma sometimes. I mean, I don't think we ought to just assume you know, the world's going to hate us and stand on the corner and you know, say you're going to hell, uh, even though that could be true. Now, ultimately, the message can be rejected. All right, so nobody's said the elephant in the room so far of current cultural accommodation. Sexual the orientation, etc. Yes. Um, you know, back in the spring, I guess it was, we watched a series by Greg Kopel on apologetics. Well, he has a podcast that I've listened to for years, and last, in the last two weeks or so, he had uh, a couple of podcasts on this conference that Andy Stanley had. In Atlanta, you know who Andy Stanley is. He's Charles Stanley's son, uh, who pastors a church with 35,000 members on multiple campuses. And uh, about three weeks ago now, uh, they had a conference called Unconditional in September, and uh, it was on basically trying to accommodate homosexual practices and um, finding a way to accept and, and particularly people whose children may be you know homosexual um, but the speakers were all homosexuals all the books that were distributed and so on um, it was a really big deal um, by a really big church. And this was three weeks ago. So, um, so we, we hear about Machen literally a hundred years ago dealing with cultural accommodation. And that was at a time when you could say, like Schaefer called, um, uh, a Christian, what was he called? Um, consensus. Francis Schaeffer, you know, said that you know, up until probably the mid 20th century that there really was a Christian consensus. Um, so even back during that time when there was even a stronger Christian um, foundation and consensus, compare that to today uh, when it's far less So, you know, these issues are very, very current. And even though the issues 
like today we're talking about these sexual issues. Um, but they boil down to basic human tendencies that scripture addresses. You know, and when we get back to why I put in the Apostles' Creed, you know, go back and think through every phrase in there. And think through the attacks on just about every phrase in the Apostles' Creed. Um, either, you know, by critical theory, um, you know, evolutionary thought against creation, you know, denying resurrection, you know, back in the early summer we had the series on resurrection and we talked about how some of the progressive Christians talk about how, you know, we don't really need to have a resurrected Christ in order to be a Christian. You know, these are, uh, these are real issues. So, even though we're using this book that's 100 years old to help us think through this, I think it's just really interesting to see how current that is for us now. And so I think there's a real benefit to do that. Um, last week, I think a couple of people pointed out ways that you could get the book, um, you know, online and so on. Uh, the one reference that I, I didn't hear anyone mention is that you can actually buy a hard copy of it. So I know. You know I mean, there, there were two or three ways that you could find it online. I don't know about y'all, but if I'm going to read a book, I want to hold it. And I want to mark it up. And I don't want to keep it. So, I mean, you can actually buy a hard copy of the book. So, any other final thoughts? Or? I think that what the problem that you just outlined also contributes to this nationalistic strain of people calling themselves Christians. They think, well, if God is ready to shower out blessings on me and I'm not a sinner, then what I want must be right. It must be so right that I have the right to take up arms with my fellow citizens and go go get it by force. Well, that's not Jesus' way at all. Specifically, what he's, he's explained that he was not happy to do. You know, on both sides of an argument like that, you can go down long paths. I mean, there, there, there may be some validity where you start. But you're not supposed to go down with an eight day whatever, you know, an attachment. You're supposed to go down in a prayer. Sword of the Spirit. Sword of the Spirit, yeah. Alright. Let's close the prayer. Lord, we're thankful to you for um, the assurance that we have of your truth, of who you are your love for us, what you've done for us through the Lord Jesus, um, and for the encouragement that we have in lessons like this. Help us to learn from the past. Pray now for our worship service to follow. We pray that you would be present and that we would worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.